Okay. Recording in progress. So, the first one, again, these are just, either they're made up, or they're misunderstood, or there's validity to it, but it's a minig, it's not a halacha. So, I have, I don't know, nine or ten, we'll run through them. The first one is, it's a thing, but it's not necessarily so posh it. And that's uh, Friday night after davening, everyone says, let's say Vayichula together. I need someone to say Vayichula. Now, so where does that come from? So the truth is, the Shulchan Aruch brings down that there's an Indian, the Tzibar says Vayichula together, and there's an Indian, the Magan Avram said, you should say Vayichula with the Minion. You're testifying that Hashem created the world, Vayichula Shemayim Varetz, V'chol Tzavav, that Hashem created in the sixth and rested on the seventh, it's an Indian to say it together. Now, where is the Indian? That's with the Tzibar. Now, where is the Indian that if you missed it, that you should pull someone over and say it to two people? So that's from the Mishabura. Mishabura has two opinions that are very notable over there. First of all, he says that you should have someone else to say it. It's Eidus. You have two people being made together. So Eidus. The second thing, he also says, which is very aga, very interesting, he says you should finish Shmonesri quicker in order to say Vayichulu with a minion. He says you should speed up your Shmonesri. That's the Bir Allah brings that. And both of those, both those halachas, the Chazanish disagreed with both. Now the Chazanish disagreed with both for the following reason. First of all, about the speeding up Shmonesri in order to say Vayichulu uh, with a minion, the Chazanish says we don't find saying Vayichulu with a minion brought down in Gemara. That's not brought down in Gemara. It's brought down in the Magad Avram and in the, the Rishonim. It's not brought down in Gemara. But you know what is brought down in Gemara? Having Kavana for Shmanesa. So the Chazanish says, so to, to speed up your Shmanesa and not have Kavana in order to say Vayichulu with a minion, he says that that's like Iker and Tafel. So he disagrees with that, the Chazanish. And the second thing the Chazanish disagrees with, he says that he's not a fan of grabbing another person to say Vayichulu together. He was against it. And his reasoning is interesting because... While it's a nice thing, you know, a lot of times in halacha, it's like if I tell you this is the halacha and that's the halacha, then you say, okay. But if I were told you the opposite, you say, oh, so okay. You have to be makabal. So the truth is, the Indian of having two people testifying that Hashem created the world is a beautiful thing conceptually. The Chazanish says, on the other hand, let me ask you, a, let me give you a, a scenario. You have a child goes to the father and he says, you should know, I took a DNA test. You talk to my parents. So it's a, 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 a maid. So is that respectful? Of course not. Well, who are you to testify? So the Chazanish says, the truth is, he has a lotion for the Gemara, the concept of two people being made that Hashem created the world, it's sort of like, I need you, I need these two. If it's a minion, okay, a Kahal Kedisha from Kalal Yisrael, a Kahila, fine, but two people. So Chazanish actually, not only does he say you don't have to, he, he wasn't the biggest fan. No, so okay. The minig of Kalal Yisrael... No, true, but I'm saying, if the, no, it's a makar for the kahila to say it, fine. So you want to say a kahila, that's brought down for the Magan Avram, but to extend it to two, he felt was a bit of an extension. So here's the thing. So it's obviously the minute of Kalal Yisrael. I'm not, the minute of Kalal Yisrael, people do it, understood. My point is, it's not a misconception, it's not a myth, but it's not so posh it that you have to. While it's become this thing that like, okay, listen, you want to do this very nice, the Chazanish, it wasn't the biggest, it wasn't into it. So if people want to do it, Givaldic. But I just wanted to give more of a background. That's not a classic one because that there is a legitimate source for it. It's the Mishabura. But Chazanish wasn't uh, wasn't uh, it was Chaylik. So you, you, you know if you if you do it great. But if someone doesn't do it, I wouldn't necessarily uh, you know give them Musar for it. Okay, that's the first one. That Mishabura is shver though. Why is it shver? Oh, that one. Yes, it's hard to. That's a shita. It's it's the Biralacha. That's uh, it's hard to understand, but that's that's the shita of the Biralacha. Yeah, I, listen, I, that's uh, Mishabur was a big. He was a big boy. He could defend himself too, but that's not not my area to uh, to uh, understand it to explain it. 
The Alter Rebbe? I believe so, but I have to check it up. I, I believe so. The second one, okay, so the second one might get me, again, if there are questions or comments, I'd rather say for the end just because I could, that way we could schmooze, but, you know, the people that are, uh, people are listening, it's, it's a little harder for them. But, uh, okay, the second one is like this. I could be completely wrong about this. I'll, I'll be completely honest. I don't know, I've left the safer at my house, but um, I've asked Choshiba Rabbonim about this, and they said that it's a thing. I could not find any Makar, and if someone has a Makar, please send it to me. I could be completely wrong. I'm going to tell you what I think might be. This is a, I think. I'm pretty sure, so I was at a, a, a funeral uh, yesterday, but I've been to, unfortunately, been to Kfuras, and what they'll do sometimes is, oh, they're saying it's getting late, sit down. And, then, and, and you know, part of the nature of Avelos in general is that it's very chaotic, because the Avelim a lot of times don't know what the halachas are, and they don't know minhagim, the minhagim, which is understandable. And they're being told what to do by like a thousand people. And it's a very chaotic experience, especially in the cemetery. And you have these, like they'll say, sit down, and then it's officially shiva. So now it's the first day of shiva, because it's getting late, you got to sit. you got to officially sit. I, I could be completely wet on this, I could be completely wrong. I don't, the first time someone said, like to me, I, I don't think you have to. I, I know... I'm not aware of a makar for it. On the contrary, I could tell you like this. Rabbi Olbam in his Sefer, Rabbi Olbam just came out with a couple svarim, and one of them is on Avelis. And he brings down that if you finish, when does Shiva start? So Shiva starts at the end of the burial. Once the burial's over, you are now in Shiva. That is the, that is the law. Whether you sit or not, to me, you're in Shiva. I, I don't, I don't, th- and if you sit, then it's like a chaloi Shiva. I, I don't understand that. You're in Shiva. So if, and if, and if you, if you sit and no one comes by, it's not Shiva. And if no one sees you, and if you're standing, to me, Shiva begins at the end of Kavura. Rabbi Olbam writes in his Sefer that it's in Chayka Chaim, I think it's Daf Kuf, Daf Memtes, and Daf Nun. I just had it in my house, I forgot to bring it over, that Rabbi Obam says that if you finish the Kvura during sunset, Bein Hashmoshes, so you're, it's Bein Hashmoshes already, it's after sunset, before it says, and you finish the Kvura, he says, you could already count that, you, you, it's Ke'ilu, you finished the Kvura the day before, so you've already had one day of Shiva, and then when you start nighttime, it's a, it's a second. It, 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 he writes down on the bottom, Rav Skachalis, who was Malachi Rabbi Olam's Truvis, he writes on the bottom, you don't need anybody to visit. You don't need anybody. You're in, you're burying. They're in the cemetery. There's clearly no one. They're not sitting down. Again, I, I know of Choshev Rabbonim that have sent chairs to the cemetery. To, I could be completely wrong. I have not seen a Makar for it. I don't also understand conceptually why that would be needed. Shiva begins at the end of Kvura. That's brought down in Shulchan Aruch. I don't... I don't understand why. So that, that could be the second one. Again, could be completely wrong on this one. The other ones I'm much more confident about. I, I looked. I, I, I didn't see. And on the contrary, from Rabbi Obam Sefer, it doesn't seem to indicate that you have to. And it, it just it's one of those things where it's just everyone's yelling at everybody to sit down. And they're in the cemetery. And their head's, their head's all confused. And, and you sit down. And you say, I'm, say, And my mother was at the funeral yesterday. And, and they made the, the Avelim sit in a car. And they had people come over and say, say I'm okay. Now it's Shiva. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think it's required. I, I think that after the burial, that's it. You're now the first day of Shiva. Um, correct. First of all, also. By the way, that's what I told them. He's making a very valid point. The second they're done the burial, the mourners walk in between, and everyone says, I'm okay, Yachim. So I told the people, they're like, we have to get back, we have to say, I said, you started it. Everyone comforted you. That's, you're now in Shiva. I, 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 I don't understand where it comes from. 
I, I think it might be made of. Personally, okay. The third one, and the third one I think we've spoken about in the past, and that's why afterwards we could talk, you'll, you'll, you'll tell me more. The, it's, I'm just going to tell you what the Shulchan Aruch says. I know Mikubalim have different opinions, but I can tell you what Shulchan Aruch is. There's a concept in Halacha that when someone passes away, one more about Avelis, then we'll go through a different topic, which just came to me when I was by the cemetery yesterday. By Avelis, when someone passes away, until the burial, the person is called an Onen. Now, during that time period, the most notable thing that's, that's, that's unique is you don't perform mitzvahs. You don't daven, you don't say brachas. Now, the reason for that is it's not just like, well, it's not a time for mitzvahs, right? It's because of the concept of osik b'mitzvah, potemena mitzvah, meaning you're so osik, you're so involved in the mitzvah of burial that you're predisposed and you're not able to do the mitzvah. Now, you're going to say, we have a chavr kadish. That's not for now. That's, that's, Mishabura talks about this. It's not for now. But the concept, that's the concept. The second the burial is over, all the halachas come back. You have to make brachas again. You can't eat without washing. All, all the halachas come back. You're now in Shiva, which has its own details, but the laws of Anina's end. There's one exception to that that I think people don't know about. And again, we've spoken about this, I believe. And that is tefillin. In a lot of people's perspectives, a lot of people's mind, the second they're done the cemetery, they got to run home and quickly put tefillin on because it's still the daytime. The Shulchan Aruch, I know Mikubala might have a different opinion, but Sinna, and by the way, there's also a difference of halacha of whether the burial is not taking place as the same day as the dead that the Mishabura talks about, but let's assume a classic case, someone dies in the morning, they bury him that day. So it's two o'clock in the afternoon, you finish the burial, you're on your way back to the Shiva home, you do not put on tefillin according to the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch says the first day after the day of burial, there is no tefillin. Because the Gemara says tefillin is called a pe'er, it's called a crown. And the first day you have efer, enois and efer tachas pe'er, you are exempted from tefillin the first day. Now, there might be different minhagim, possibly. I'm telling you what the Shulchan Aruch says. The Shulchan Aruch and Simen Lamedches, Sif Hey, the Mechaber says. You don't put on tefillin. Now, the reason why that's notable is because in a lot of people's minds, they think tefillin is like anything else, which is you didn't put it on because you were an onain. Well, you're not an onain anymore. I got time, right? If anyone else, right? A lot of people, a lot of kids don't realize this. You don't just put tefillin on in the morning. If let's say you have a fever, standard day, not an oval, standard day, if you're not feeling well and you wake up at two in the afternoon, you put tefillin on. Even if you wake up at four in the afternoon, you put tefillin on. You put tefillin as long as there's still daylight, even sunset. Put tefillin on. So people think the same thing. The first day is different. I will tell you that that's, that's the standard halach and shulchan aruch. I've been to shiva houses where the avil was like praising himself. Where he's like, after the kfura, I ran home and I put tefillin because I didn't want to miss a day. I said, fine. I didn't, I didn't say a word. I'm just telling you, you have to ask a shayla. If there's different minhagim, that's one thing. The shulchan aruch states, I know that mikubalim have a different view. Because I know Richard Meyer uh, lost his mother uh, during covid and I read a kuntress that he was talking about how he put on tefillin b'tzinna with a brach, without a brach, I don't remember. Okay, but that's a different story. But that's just a concept that people should know about, that the first day there is a potential exemption, and it's not standard aninas. It's different. Again, we shouldn't know from these things. Okay, a couple more, and then like I said, afterwards I'm happy to take questions. I just want to run through a couple more. Um, okay, there is a very complicated, it's pretty complicated, and that is, this concept that I'm about to tell you, a lot of people have heard of, and it's a thing, but it's not halacha, it's a minig. So just to know, it's also a misconception, just to know where it comes from. Moving a Sefer Torah from one location to the other is not so poshit, okay? It's not so poshit when it's allowed, meaning, 
we know that there are historical times where we do such a thing, okay? For Sheva Brachas, Shabbat Sheva Brachas, many people will take a Sefer Torah and they'll take it from the shul and they'll have a private minion. Okay. It's not so poshit, A, that it's allowed. Um, just to do it for not for st- not so poshit at all. I remember um, during COVID there were a lot of Eterim because there were so many private minion or whatever it is, you couldn't do it. But I remember there were times where people were like, oh, we wanted to have a private minion uh, for whatever reason because the grandfather wanted to cut, whatever it is. Can we take the Sefer I always said, you have to ask a Shiloh, because, and it's really beyond the scope of this discussion, but to take a Sefer from the Aaron, from its location, and to be metaltal a Sefer from one location to the other, is a bizarre for the Sefer It's considered a disgrace for the Sefer to be moved, and therefore it's not so poshid. The Ramah says we only allow it for a Chayla and an Adam Chashiv. You have to know what's an Adam Chashiv. Rav Moshe Feinstein said Sheva Brachis is okay because the Chasen is an Adam Chashiv. Okay, fine. Uh, going to a prison is maybe allowed, maybe not allowed. The standard halacha is that if it's allowed, meaning if it's warranted by Paiskin that it's allowed, you should also have an Aaron. That's a huge distinction of, there's a major difference between moving a Sefer Torah when there is an Aaron, like you have a portable Aaron, and moving a Sefer Torah where you're just putting it on a talus on the table. Okay, fine. So that, that's a thing. Now, it's become accepted amongst Klal Yisrael. We move a Sefer Torah for a Shiva house. Shiva house, they'll bring a Sefer Torah, they have an Aaron, so it makes it a lot better halachically. That's why they have Aaron's. They don't just put it on the table. And therefore it's because you're going from Aaron to Aaron as opposed to from Aaron to table. Fine. Now it's become a thing, though, that people said, even if you transport it, you have to lay in three times. Now, and the problem is, when you're in a Shiva house, you don't usually lay in three times. Well, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But I've been to Shiva houses where you go Monday, Thursday, but then Shabbos, they go to shul. So Monday, Thursday... So, okay, so by the way, Marash Hashiva, Rav Kalman, what I heard, so by the way, where does the three thing come from? It's a minig. It's a minig from the Arach HaShulchan. The Arach HaShulchan brings down that it's become minig of Klal Yisrael, that if you lay in three times in the new location, it's like a chazaka, so then it's not considered moving it for no reason. Oh, it's like you establish it in its new location. I was told, I don't know, um, I won't, okay, I probably shouldn't have said his name, but one of Marash Hashivas, pretend you didn't hear it. I, what I was told, again, I could be wrong, what I was told is when he was, um, when he was sitting Shiva, they did Monday, Thursday, but he wanted to lay in it a third time, so what I was told is that he took it out and lay in Shnai Mikra, which is itself an interesting thing. There's a Shaila and the Prisha and of whether you're allowed to take a Sefer Torah out for non-laning purposes. I mean, they, historically, that's what they, they used. Well, yeah, he felt that it did because it's being used three times. But the... Oh, so I know it was. I think it was Shabbos and Shai Mik, or maybe it was after Shiva, but before he returned it to Masaskim. I don't remember the exact details. By the way, but that's itself also not so posh. By the way, to take a Sefer Torah out not for uh, a minion is itself a Shaila, which they used to. The Prisha said you could. I know that. I know that it's Negea in shuls when you have bar mitzvah boys that want to practice. There are some rabbanim in the neighborhood that have been very vehemently against taking the Sefer Torah out. We don't take the Sefer Torah out unless it's for a minion. But I've been in shuls where it's okay. I, I tell you over here, if the kids are nervous and they die, I, I, I will oblige if it makes them, uh, you know, God will cover for a kid to not be nervous is itself is a big shul. It's scary when you're a kid who's laying. I, but, I, but again, but, but there's a min, it's a minute to have three times. Ravad Yosef says that that minig was not necessarily neskabal among Svardim. So Svardim are not particular about this. So it is a thing. It's not a misconception, but it's not a halacha. It's a minig. 
Okay, minig Yisrael Torah, it's, it's an important minig, Ramosha Feinstein, uh, it's brought down in some of the Svarim, Ramosha was particular, um, Ramosha was particular not not uh, not to, um, uh, uh, to to be to lane from it three times. So he wasn't mezalzel. He felt that a minig of klal so especially related to a covet of a sefer Torah, is something you should be careful with. But it's not brought down in shulchan aruch anywhere. It's brought down from the aruch hashulchan. It's a minig from the aruch hashulchan. Um, just to run through again, there could be earlier sources, but everyone just quotes it as the aruch hashulchan's minig because he was the one that again he's quoting a minig. That means go back to Europe. I'm sorry. Um, to run through a couple more now. This one I've been asked, is it a Jewish thing? Because it, 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 even amongst uh, the outside world, it's also a thing. And that's uh, for a woman not to tell others that she's pregnant. Okay, so I can tell you, I looked into it. The only Makaris that I found is there's a letter from the Friedrich Rebbe of Chabad. Like there's certain Minhagim that I, they are like widespread but the only sources I found happen to be in Min Chabad, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's just a Min Chabad. Like one example someone asked me last week, is there a, is it a thing, is it a myth that the Chassan and Kal shouldn't see each other a week before? So I said, well, that, 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 was, an, that was a Minig. Rishon Mizalman brings it down. The Sefer Min Hagim of Chabad brings it down. It's not just a Minig Chabad. It was a Minig. To be fair, though, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky used to say there was a couple that they didn't see each other because they didn't want to see each other for a week before to have chavivus, whatever. And, and the problem was that they were, it was leading to a lot of fights because the, it was, everything was miscommunications. And Rav Yaakov said, you should see each other because the, the whole Indian is to, is to have, to have, that you see each other for the first time as chavivus. But he said, this is leading to a fight, so don't do that. But that was a minute, again, it is a minute amongst a lot of people. Svaradim are not particular about this. They actually go, they go take pictures before and they go to the, the chasana together. But, but that was, it's, it brought down a safe minute called Chabad, but it's not just a minute Chabad. There are a lot of non-Chabadniks that are also particular. So this, I, I tell you this, the Friedrich Rebbe has the following thing, Al-Pi The Friedrich Rebbe Al-Pi says the following. I can tell you from my experience with, I know Chabad people, they are particular about this. Outside of Chabad, I think also people think about telling, uh, the, revealing the pregnancy to others. I think that it would make a lot of sense not to reveal it. Firstly, you have Ayin Haras, and all that. It makes sense. Ayin Bracha Shriya, Dabar Saman Ayin. Once you start revealing things, the, the, the potency of the Bracha goes away. The Friedrich Rebbe said that we do not reveal a pregnancy for the first three months, even to family members, as he said. That was, he brings in a letter. Even to family members, you don't reveal it for the first three months. He says, even to get a kvittal to a rabbi, you don't write it, nothing. From three to five, you reveal it to close people. That was, that was, and that's the minig of Chabad, but I think outside of Chabad. The, the Friedrich, the previous Lubavitcher of Yosef Yitzchak. It's an igris kodesh of Yosef Yitzchak. Um, Happens to be the Rebbe was asked to Shaila and he says he wasn't sure about it. What if someone outright asks you, are you pregnant? It, it, should you lie about it? He said, he said I, you know, technically, you know, it's, it's for Shalom, but, but he said you have to ask, uh, he said you should ask your local Orthodox Rabbi. Um, a couple more that I have. I have... I have, on, I have one, two, uh, three, four, five. I have, I have a couple more. We'll run, run through them, not, not too long. One is... Um, a lot of times you have these schoolers that pop up. A lot of them are made up, but some of them are legit. So I was asked, is it a thing for pregnant women to bite off a pitam on Sukkot, on Hashanah Rabbah? So the truth is, um, Rav Chaim Palagi, well, I, I, by the way, I want to make this clear. The, the year where it's Shemitah, that's a separate thing. Let's not touch Shemitah. I'm talking about the average year. So Rav Chaim Palagi brings down that there was a minig for pregnant women to bite off the pitim on Hishana Rabbah, um, 
and they felt there was a school of for an easy pregnancy. Now he says the reason for this was, um, according to one opinion, the etadas toivera was an esrig. So it's, he says it's the woman's way of saying the same way when you bite off a pitam, there's no benefit, it tastes bitter. So too, she's saying, I didn't, I, I, I don't want to be, I, I didn't have hana, chava, didn't really take pleasure from the etadas, and that should, that should make the, the, the punishment of the etadas, which is pregnancy, which is a painful pregnancy, should be lightened. The Minchas Elazar of Munkach was very against it. Uh, he said, to take a pitam on sukkis, on Hoshana Rabbah, and to bite it off, which is to passel it on sukkis, he felt is a bizarian for the Dalit Minim. So he said, if you want to do this minig, he says, he's not, I don't think he was endorsing, he was just saying, if you're going to do it, wait till after sukkis. But to on Hoshana Rabbah, which was what the original minig was, that the second the, the husband came home from Shul, finished taking Dalit Minim, they would bite it off, he said, that, that, uh, that the Munchas Elazar was, was staunchly against. Uh, running through a couple more. Um, so this is interesting. Uh, having uh, I, I heard this thing. This is I've heard. This is this is it's not made up, but it's it's a misunderstanding. I've heard that you can't have goyim by the seder. You can't have goyim by the seder. Now that that's okay. So that's not hundred percent true. The truth is, it's counterintuitive. It's actually probably better to have goyim at the Shabbos table than to have goyim. But the, it's not goyim at the seder. You shouldn't be having goyim at any of the Yom Tov meals. Now the reason is because the, by Yom Tif, if people think it's like related to the Seder because it became, I think it has to do with the fact that the Pesach carbon was not allowed to be eaten by Goyim, so you wouldn't be allowed to have them over, but it's been thousands of years. It, there's no Indian of not having a Goyim by the Seder. There's maybe having an Indian of not having Goyim by any Yom Tif meal because the Shulchan Aruch, the Gemara tells us that you're not, you're allowed to cook on Yom Tif, right? Um, uh, the, the, but the Gemara says, Ach, when it says, describing Oichel Nefesh, you're allowed to cook on Yom Tif, it says, Ach, Lachem uh, Lagoyim. Uh, you're allowed to cook for Jews, and not, it's an Isser to cook food on Yom Tif for a guy. So the Gemara tells us it's brought down Shulchan Aruch that you shouldn't have a guy over for Yom Tif meal Shem because we're afraid that you might come to cook a dish for particularly for the guests, which is natural. You cook extra dishes when there are guests over, so we're afraid that you might come to cook. So there's a conceptual issue with having any guy at any Yom Tif meal. It's not. It's the same problem by Shavuos to Sukkis. It's not a Pesach thing. It, that's it's a problem. How you avoid that? It's not for now. There's a Shailah that Rishon Mizalman was asked. Rishon Mizalman was asked a Shailah. What happens? This does happen. Pesach, maybe because it's more family oriented. You have sometimes people that are in the process of converting, and or they converted, but their parents are non-Jews and they want to have their parents over for the holiday meals. Is that a problem? Because the Gemara says you're not allowed to invite a guy for, for Yom Tif. So, Rosh Hashem Zalman, uh, I, I, I didn't check it up, Rosh Hashem Zalman quotes a Rajma in the Ran that he says the main issue is we're not afraid, they interpret the Gemara, that we're not afraid you're going to cook for a guy, we're afraid you're going to cook non-kosher for the guy. Then you have a guy over, you're like, why should I cook him kosher? Let me cook him non-kosher, I'll cook nevela for him. And that's the main issue, but cooking kosher, he felt that maybe it's only Nisadara maybe Kavada Bris, but you have to ask a Shailu exactly the details. But my point is, there's nothing, to my knowledge, that's specifically closely related to a guy on the Seder night. It's a guy and Yom Tif. It's Yom Tif is Yom Tif. I'm not sure. It would be the same thing as Sukkot. It could be the reason why people ask the Shailu by the Seder is because that Yom Tif, Pesach is more of a, a family and you want to show off the procedure but that, it's a separate child you have to figure out of how it's allowed ever. But I, I'm not aware of any um, uh, particular notion of Pesach being different from Sukkot Shavuos. I have three or four more. Oh, this one is just, I, I just write this, I just jotted this down as I was here. Uh, this is just, this is not a myth. Or, it's just, you should know. Just 
good to know. Uh, someone reached out to me recently and they said, how's the proper name to spell Freda? Okay, so, I, 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 you know, I, this is not, I, it doesn't matter how you spell it. I, I know, I, there's a thing that's like, when people spell names, so it's related, it's, it's rel- it doesn't really matter how you spell your name on your test, it doesn't really matter, but it's related, obviously, for the laws of Gittin. The laws of Gittin and Ksubis, and Ksubis is only, we're, we're pretty strict with Ksubis, because Ksubis are compared to the laws of Gittin, and, and Rabbanim will sometimes look at a Ksuba and, and apply that to a Get. So, but Gittin is, is very, very particular about how names are written, and there's a proper way to spell names. Like, if, you, if you're named David, but you spell it with a silent ayin, it doesn't work. But I spell it with an I. It doesn't matter what you, how you spell it. There's a proper way to spell names. And if you look in the Shulchan Aruch, it's actually interesting. I didn't check it out. I think it's Simen Kuf Choftes of Evan Ezer. At the end, after the Shulchan Aruch, he has a section, the Beishmul, called Shemois Anoshim and Shemois Noshim, where they have a whole section of how to spell common men, male names and common female names. That was written by the Beishmul, so that's in the mid-1600s. The Aruch HaShulchan on Simen Kuf Choftes has... An even longer list, and that's more Yiddish names, because the Aruch HaShulchan was, 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 he was in Russia, but it has more Yiddish names. And that's how you to spell, like, Freda, I checked it up, there is a proper way to spell it. I, she spell, it doesn't really matter how she spells it, the Rav, if they're Misada Gittin, is going to spell it properly. Now, by the way, there are going to be sometimes, I actually have a safer in my house, I just realized, Rav Hankin has a safer, I have a safer called Kol Kisver Rav Hankin, where Rav Hankin compiled an additional 300 names at the 30s, and there's a lot of names that were Americanized names, and he wrote how to spell. It's actually it's cute when you look at the names. These are not names that are uh, that were very common at the time to- anymore. But at the time, they were super common. And he tells you like Rudolph and uh, and 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 all the you know and Herman and all the old school names. And my grandfather's name was Herman Kahn. He had a Baruch Salieres, but but how do you spell Herman? And how do you spell all these Gladys and all these older names? And and he has a list. And the truth is, if it's not on this list, you have to know how to spell it properly. I've spoken to Rabbi Olbaum. They have different messiahs. Rabbi Olbaum always goes with the more Yiddish spelling. It affects... But the point is, there is a proper way to spell. And that's why, like, you shouldn't make presumption. If you have a name, especially if it's not like a classic biblical name, it's a more Yiddishized name, a Polish name, there's a proper way to spell it. you got to check it up. Hopefully it's in that list. Hopefully it's in the Beish Shmuel or the Archa Shulchan. If not, you speak to experts and there are people that are... That are know the Shirish and they know how to spell. But there's a proper, my point is, it's not just up to you. There's a proper way to spell. I know this came up, uh, I've spoken to my father about this because my father, my father, first of all, Menachem Mendel. My, Mendel, there's two different ways to spell it. Some spell it with an ayin, some spell it without an ayin, with a yud. It's brought down both different ways, are actually brought down in the, in the Beishmul. I know that there's certain Sadiq in the spell, you know, and there are, there are ways, but you have to check it up. It's just something to know. Um, I have three more. Okay, so this one, um, this one could be a misconception, but it's an old, old, old one. Now, this is different than Hagim. Should a chasan during Sheva Brachas not go to shul? So it's a strange thing because you'd be like, well, if there was ever a time where a person should be davening with a minion, it's he just, right, a person the day of his chasana, his nimcholoya kol of all his averis are forgiven. You're starting out fresh, you should, you should. The prisha. The Prisha, you're talking about the Prisha was in the, the 1600s. The Prisha brings down that he says it's a minig shtus. So it's a foolish minig, but the Prisha brings down the minig in his time where Hasanim during Shavu Brachas did not go to shul. And he says he's not sure why. So he thought a theory, his theory is, one of the halachas is that during Shavu Brachas you need a shimer. You see, 
Oh, that's another misconception. I just thought of it. Another misconception is people think that you only need a shimer before the wedding. No, no, no. The truth is the ikrachiv of shmira that a chassan and kala need a shimer, they need someone to escort them, is during Sheva brachas. Now, the reason why it's not usually a problem is because the chassan and kala are shimer each other. But if a chassan during Sheva brachas is going to a baseball game, I'm not sure why he's doing that, whatever, he's going wherever he's going, going to get a suit. That's a better example. He has to have someone escort him. That's a halacha. The reason why we're makbid, by the way, to do it the day of the wedding, that became the minic, the day of the wedding. That's just because, according to some opinions, the day of the wedding, he has the status of a chassan. The truth is, the chazanish felt very strongly that you have the status of a chassan when you're under the chuppah. That's why if Soloveitchik would put the ashes under the chuppah, that was he put the ashes, because you're not a chassan until that point. So the truth is, the ikrachiv of Shmira is during Shemarach, it's not before the wedding. But people just say, people think, oh, I'm Shimer him. It's, it's Dave's wedding, I'm a Shimer. Okay, it's a nice thing, it's a minig, but the Iker Chiv is during the Sheva Brachis. So says the Prisha, because the Iker Chiv is during the Sheva Brachis, he needs a Shimer to get to Shachris. It's not so easy to get a Shimer, to pick him up every morning. You're not going to make the Kala go to Shul. So, okay, uh, stay home. Now, the reason why that's a little schwer is because for a couple things. First of all, so get a shimer. I don't know. It's not so. It's, that's why the Prisha called it a minik shtus. Get a shimer. Also, the Chazanish held you don't need a shimer when you're on your way to shul because he felt shimer mitzvah leyeda davarar. Chazanish held you don't need a shimer. Now there is a second reason why you wouldn't go to shul, and this is a this every every guy at a shtibel will find this the number one thing. It's a joke. People love not saying tachanun. Oh, the the Taz says the reason why they didn't go to shul was because if they went to shul, the kehillah wouldn't say tachanun. How could they deprive the kehillah of saying tachanun so they would stay home, so to, to allow the kehillah to say tachanun? So, by the way, just, just Akav, you should know, that Ishei Sor brings down from Paiskim that they also question that reason because they say if that's the reason, he, according to some opinions, he could come to shul and just step outside and they could still say tachanun. So the truth is, whether it's a legitimate minig or not, I could tell you the Hanhaga, the Chazanish, used to tell Chazanim, go to shul, Go to shul, because the preacher called him Shtus, you go to shul. But there was potentially something. So if there is a chasa, I'll tell you like this. If there's a kala who the week of his week of her wedding, the week of Sheva Brachis, he's not going to shul, maybe this is what it's based on. Perhaps. Or, I guess she'll, she'll watch him. Because if after Sheva Brachis, he still doesn't go to shul. That means you have a big problem. But if, but if, if during Sheva Brachis, he's not going, okay, after he's fine. Now, what, what, um, two more. Okay, two more. Um, this, is, this is an example of... I can tell you, my father's told me that in his day, it was not a thing. And this is an example where it's not a myth, but it's a chumrah that's become, like, accepted amongst the yeshiva island. There's certain, there's certain chumras that just sort of came in, and I've spoken to Rabbi Steinberg about this. Things that are related to weddings, he's, he has not historically been a fan of adding chumras because he says... Over time, people are going to think that that chumrah is required, and then they'll hear about their grandparents who got married and be like, oh, maybe the wedding wasn't legitimate because they didn't do this chumrah, but it's just a chumrah. One of the things that become, if, uh, 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 you know, part of being in line of this profession is sometimes I, because I'll get a keyboard. I don't want keyboard them. I can tell you right now. I don't want keyboard them at anything. I'd rather sit in the back. I, I don't like keyboard them. But if I'm going to get a keyboard, Aid Kedushin is pretty sweet because I don't have to say a word. I just stand there, I look, okay, good. So if you've been an aide, there's a new thing, not a new thing, of the last 20, 30 years, and that is that after they read the Ksuba and the Chassan hands the Ksuba to the Kala, they'll call over the Eid Kedushin and they'll say, watch, watch him give it over. That was not historically something that was done. I can tell you, in my father's day, it was... Now, where does it come from? What it comes from is there's an Archas Chaim. There's two potentially reasons. Um, 
So uh, I, I can just tell you, I, I wrote about a little bit. The, the, there's two potential reasons that it became a thing. First of all, um, the uh, the Tajbeits and Shuvas, one of the Rishonim, he says that in order for the obligations to take effect, the obligations within the Ksuba, the financial obligations take effect when she receives it, and therefore you want witnesses to see the transaction that the trans. Okay, but the other reason that this is the more common reason amongst the more modern day poskim is the Archas Chaim of Linil, also a Rishon. He says that the Ksuba, by the way, what's the purpose? The Ksuba is a financial document. It's not a romantic thing. It's a financial document. But he said. Here's what you should do. The, the mission of the beginning of Kedushin says, right? You can acquire a woman in three ways. The first one is Kesef, which is what we do. We give her a ring and say, The second way was Shtar. What Shtar? It's not a Ksuba. They would take a document and say, and hand it over in front of witnesses because it was an act of acquisition. The Archas Chaim says, the Ksuba, it says in the Ksuba, technically, while this is not the purpose of the Ksuba, it does say that they're married. That's the whole point of the Ksuba. So says the Archas Chaim, if the Kedushin was problematic with the ring, this could be a fallback. So because of that, it became uh, Rav Arin and Rav Sizalman and Rav Shach were particular that the, the people watch it because this could potentially be the, the form of acquisition of Kedushin. I can tell you this though, Rav Yashiv, Rav Ozner, um, held, uh, there's no need. They felt that there's no need because they said, no, they said, first of all, you can't marry a woman without her knowledge, right? Which means that if this star, if you actually think that this Ksuba could be the star of Kedushin, but the only one who knows about it are the big Talmidei Chachamim who are giving Shiurim, but the Chaz and Kala aren't aware of it, you can't trick them. So Rav Chaim Kineski used to say when they would ask him about it, he said, no, because you think, maybe it's Shtar Kedushin. Who knows that? The Rav who's giving the Shir, but not the Chaz and Kala? So if they don't know about it, it's not, it's not working anyway. So I guess if you're going to do it, you should probably tell the Chaz and Kala before, hey, this might be the thing. But like I said, it's not made up. It's based on a Chumrah of the Archas Chaim of Lenil. But it's become a thing that it's like, like the Eidik Kedushin have to see it. I can tell you, 30, 40 years ago, it was not heard of. Or at least it was, it was much less, it was, it was maybe in certain pockets of Lakewood it was heard of, but it wasn't this common thing, and now it's become like, like Tara Messina. One more and then we'll stop. Um, uh, this is just good to know. Uh, I'll talk more about this probably on the Friday nights closer to Hanukkah. Um, and that is Hanukkah, you can't just light wherever you are. This is just, uh, uh, you know, Friday night, you light candles where you're eating or where you're sleeping. Those are two legitimate options. Hanukkah is not like that. You can't just light Hanukkah, and let's say you're at a Hanukkah party, and you're eating there. You can't light Hanukkah can- candles there. Hanukkah is is, is Beisai. Beisai, it's connected to your house. It has to be where you live. Now you're going to say, it's a Shaila, I'm in a hotel. Okay, fine, there's, there's a separate Shaila's. I'm in an airplane, where is it? Maybe I have an airport, I, I don't know. It's a Shaila, it's not a Shaila, but... You can't just light where you are. That's not, that's not a thing. People compare it to Shabbos where you're just forced to light based on wherever you are, based on time. Hanukkah is not like that. If you light at a Hanukkah party that you're going to your friend's house for a Hanukkah party, you light Hanukkah candles there. You're not yet to the mitzvah. So uh, something, uh, uh, and one more, I'll just throw this out. I just thought of it. Uh, this is also from Rav Simcha Bunukon. Going back to Shabbos, because I mentioned that you have to light either where you eat or where you sleep. If it's not one of those options, it doesn't work. So Simple Buddha Kohn said a lot of these Shabbos retreats or these hotel Shabbosim, they'll have a separate room where all the women light. Simple Buddha Kohn writes in his Sefer, Radiance of Shabbos, that it's a brachal of Atala because he said, it's not where you're eating, it's not where you're sleeping. It's just a random hallway. You can't light there. So I, I tell, I've mentioned the story in the past that when Hashivinu did a retreat many years ago, Rabbi Bergman, 
was eating with me, and then in the middle of the meal, he took his chicken, and he left. And then 15 minutes later, he came back, and I, he said, where were you? And he said, my, I went to that room where my li- wife lit, and I ate there, so that it was not a brachal of atal, but that's uh, potentially, um, uh, okay, we'll stop here, and then next week, maybe we'll do this myth, or maybe we'll just do random halakha, I don't know, we'll see, we'll see what I can think of. Um, again, if there's any questions or comments, please uh, send them my way, thank you.